Ladies and gentlemen, Kirk Thatcher and Darren Doctorman, the Weirded Beardos. Can you believe episode six? Because I can't. And unfortunately, Kirk's microphone is not working, so we won't be no, hearing it's working. Oh, oh. I was letting you talk. I was sharing, sharing the stage, Darren. Share the love. I was, I was upstaging you physically, but not audio, audibly. I was going to say orally, but that sounds well. Worse. Yeah, let's let's leave it at that. <laughs> let's leave it at audio, audibly. Here we are again with a uh, podcast that is, uh, as I just found out, uh, only ninety-five percent AI free. Yeah, um, for all you AI haters. Because we now have uh, subtitles, and uh, that's all AI. So whatever you well, read there, I, they made up. As as someone who's partially partially AI, I'm artificial, but I'm not intelligent. So <laughs> <laughs> I work in showbiz. So you know, I guess you could say phony intelligence, which would be more showbizy. PI. It's PI. Yeah. Phony intelligence. <laughs> Magnum PI. Well, I you mean, have if the you shirt. go by the American that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating my tiki room that I'm not in. I'm in my uh, other non-tiki room with my, my buddy Wilbur here. What a lovely... I, who I think we talked about last week. I we did. He, he, uh, yeah. We heard tell of him, Wilbur. but then uh, no one got Wilbur. to see him until until now. He, j- he sits in judgment of us all. He will be hanging on the wall at some point, but that's a whole climb up in the attic and reinforce girders kind of thing, because... He's not. A, he's a big boy. Speaking as a big boy myself, you need to I know bust out like the erector now. set, so to speak. Darren, this is a family show. Is this a family show? No, it's not. Not according to YouTube. It well, neither of us have wives or children, so yeah, it's probably not a family show. No, it's it's not. They, by choice. The, the funny. The, side, the question when I upload every episode is: uh, uh, Does the, does this podcast have children in it? And I, I have to think for a second. We act like children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, will they call think, us on it? We'll be- see. We're becoming a drive-time radio show, at least in LA. <laughs> Good morning, Los Angeles. You're on with Kirk and Doc. That, that You're on the morning time. zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kirk and Mr. Doc. Oh, oh my God. Looks like another scorcher here at the South Lane. We've got the Santa Ana's coming in about 70 miles an hour, so keep your hats tied on, folks, because it's windy out there. And hey, stay off that 405, will you? No, but <laughs> look at things you won't. <laughs> Uh, I assume everybody now has a drive time morning show. Morning does anyone still does anyone still listen to the radio? That's well, in LA. Question. You're stuck. Well, yeah. I mean, you're stuck on the freeway, or if you are, uh, I used to just because I, Kevin and Bean was a big favorite on K Rock. I was a K Rock listener since like seventy seven, seventy eight. So why does that? I went through all their me? morning drive times with Richard Blade, Rodney on the Rock, <laughs> um, all there. Bizarre DJs, and then I ended up with Kevin and Bean, who were, you know, like kind of Mark and Brian, slightly more, slightly less. Uh, they're the blue states, Mark and Brian. <laughs> um, not that Mark and Brian were particularly political, as were Kevin and Bean, but um, I guess I would say, I don't know. I, I listened to Mark and Brian a little bit, they were fun. Uh, two white dudes, kind of, you know, probably eight, ten years older than we are. So we're Mark and Brian, the next generation. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> no, I like Kirk and Doc. Captain Kirk and Mr. Doc. <laughs> I, I'm a I'm a captain too. 
Yo soy Capitan. Right. <laughs> you know, we're going, going, going TOS, man. Oh, not that we're nerds or anything. All right. No. Well, today, as we've discussed about 30 seconds before we... There shall be no right. topic. We are free. <laughs> are we not men? Or is it cut? We are... We cut? We as Devo. Are we not men? Well, they stole it from... Uh, you know, Island of Lost Souls, or uh, uh, I wonder the, if it's in the book, in the Wells book. I don't know. Are we not men? I think it is. I think that's like a direct quote from the book. Well, from yeah, the what what we know as uh, as Doctor Moreau. Yeah, out of Doctor Moreau, Island of Lost Souls. It was that that was the title of the book, right? I think so. I've what never read it. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I read it because you know the source material uh, for the movie and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I've always wanted to do a campy musical of it, like Cats, like a parody of Cats, <laughs> because you have all the anim- the animals, the, you know, the human people, the animals, the human people, the, the human people, the animal people, the animals, the anthropomorphized, the the uh, genetically altered animals that were human-like, I thought, oh, it'd be so funny to have each one of them, like cats, you know, they have their song about, you know, the bear man and the the lion man and the, the puma woman who's very uh, sexy and, and has uh, an encounter uh, with um, our hero who's now, ruined on the you island. You know, there is, a, there is a butthole version of Cats, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay. Tell me more. <laughs> Is it known as butthole cats? <laughs> that ass cats. <laughs> you know, it's the it's the uh, it's the music union ass cat. <laughs> ass cat. There you go. Nice. No, but the the visual You're effects company. The visual effects company had to add the cat holes to uh, all the cats in 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 the cats movie. And there what? is a. I'm serious. What? Because they weren't on the costumes, and they weren't in the in the scene. And someone said, "You know what? You know what this movie you know needs. What this movie needs it needs more, more cat butt." <laughs> oh my god! I want that. I want to be that guy. That poor guy in India, you yeah. know, or wherever they got the the discount effects house to just track buttholes on cat costumes. Well, they were. They were semi-digital. Anyway. Were they just wearing uh, mo- mocap suits, or were I, they wearing yeah, like they were moving? They I, were wearing mocap suits. Um, no makeup at all. I don't think so. No. Wow. Okay. So, no makeup. Someone said, you guys didn't track the butthole. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh my god. Ugh. Cat, Show business. Cat Fancy Magazine uh, uh, reminded them. <laughs> right. I'm, excuse me. I'm having a reality problem with your singing cats movie. Um, there's practically uh, no cat buttholes uh, featured <laughs> in the very uh, very unrealistic in the film. Uh, <laughs> That's why practical effects always went out. <laughs> oh. oh my god! Well, there you go, folks. Our first topic: cat buttholes, the lack of cat buttholes in cats, and how it was remediated by yeah. a poor poor bastards in somewhere. It's it's just so. Wonderful that uh, our business can be so detailed. Well, I'm sure it was like some agent or some agent's wife was like, doesn't seem real. (laughs) That's my favorite 
I mean, you know, there's that whole book of TV executive notes. I think they're mainly TV executive notes mm -hmm. called A Martian Wouldn't Say That. And right. it was a direct quote from a script uh, from My Favorite Martian. Right. And I mean, oh my God, with the Muppets. Uh, internally, too. This wasn't even with external producers, but we'd get in arguments about it. And I always go, so you're having a reality problem, even though it's a talking pig who wants to marry a frog. <laughs> but your reality problem is she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't wear, she wouldn't say that or she wouldn't do that. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. you know. Yeah, what is what, it the Bible? what's the problem? Straining at, straining at gnats and swallowing camels. <laughs> I don't see what the problem is, you uh, difficult artist, you. That's right. I <laughs> I get shirty. You're I get just, very defensive. You're about just the difficult. Your nose. Stop it. Uh, so one, one thing I wanted to talk about was my feelings. Um, <laughs> Today we're well, talking no, about we, feelings. Because we touched on it before. We touched a little bit on dating and and. And kind of, you know, surviving the business. And, right. and I think that kind of made me think about mental health and physical health and dating, which to me is, is part of at least physical. Well, it's physical and mental. Yeah. Well, they're, they're related because uh, without one, you don't have the other and vice versa. Well, that's very true. Um, I think when I was working on sets where you're up and around and up in the morning, you know, it's much easier to stay at least fit because you're just, you're, Oh yeah. You're, you're nonstop. Your body. Uh, even directing, I tend to not be a, a director who sits in his chair. I mean, it depends. Uh, usually I'm up and around and, and uh, I, I, there's, I've seen, that's the other thing I want to talk about directing styles that you've witnessed. Are you a wavy uh, arms kind of guy? Oh, I can't. I'm like, it's the Italian in me. I'm always like, and, and I'm up and, and walking around and then kind of when we're rolling, I tend to sit back and, and watch the monitors, which, uh, I was chastised for by uh, Miss Whoopi Goldberg in my first movie, uh -huh. where uh, we'd shot for maybe an hour or two, and she goes, Kirk, can I talk to you? And she was lovely. It was never difficult. And I'm like, yeah, well, what is it? She goes, I don't like it that you're sitting all the way over there. I want you to stand by the camera. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. And, you know, not, I hope she didn't think I was being condescending. I'm like, oh, no, I'm watching the monitor over it. And she goes, no, no, I understand. But all the good directors stand by the camera so they can see and feel it. And I'm like, I'm you know, good. like Kubrick. Well, and that's, <laughs> I said, I'm not that good. You give all the, that's, and then she was great. Cause she came right back, you know, working with great comedian improv. She goes, well, that's how you get that good. And I said, okay. So they gave me a little monitor about the size of an iPad. And I like a big bird right monitor. <laughs> sort of. And I stood right by camera and I realized after about two takes, she would she would shoot looks to see how I was reacting. Yes, because she would improv, and and so I realized I have to be in her eye line. Yes, normally yes. you never. I mean, um, you know, there's the whole tirade that um, what's his name went off on being in his eye line. Right, uh, you Chris, know, that, uh, audio clip. Chris Bale, Chris, Christian, Christian Bale, Bale, yeah, Chris Bale to his friends. Right. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I, you know, and, and I get it. Like when you're talking to someone, you know, the director's standing there, but she, that's where right. she wanted me. She well, needed she you there. Her. She needed you there for direct reaction. To feel the energy. And also she, then when she uh, clocked me or, you know, I checked me, then I wasn't where, you know, I wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like talking You weren't going, distracted by something else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cause she would improv. And so uh, I think she's the only actor that ever requested that I'd be there. But again, I was up and around. We were on locations. But now, uh, particularly shooting the last Muppet movie, which was on a, a, a volume, if you will, a, a big LED screen, mm -hmm. 
uh, I was basically in the same spot for 85% of the shoot. So it was more sedentary. And now I'm directing on Zoom an uh, animated control. series. So. Yeah. And it's weird because it's when you do get into something, now I'm, <laughs> I'm getting, instead of getting up and pointing, and, and now I'm just kind of, I, I've got a, a Wacom tablet and I'm drawing on the screen, like, mm-hmm. go this way, lots of arrows. It's like being telestrator on a football team. Um, but I've seen, and then the directing uh, styles I've witnessed, Tim Burton was very much sitting in the chair and his first AD. I want to talk a little bit about first ADs too, because they really, on most sets, depending on the director, but the ones I've seen, the first AD runs the set that, you know, they always think the director's like, all right, everybody, it's usually the first AD, first first assistant director. It's, uh, it's the workhorse job, man. They are, that's one thing people don't know, unless you're in the business is that the first AD pretty much runs the set and runs the schedule, mm-hmm. make sure all the, you know, this and gets the, the sides out and the, the call sheets out. Every, I mean, it's a lot of work. Whereas the director in a very spoiled <laughs> kind of way, you just show up and you talk with your actors and your DP and you watch them all do it. I mean, and again, it's, that's the job. You're kind of the, uh, you know, the, um, you're, if you're the brain, the, the direct uh, AD is the central nervous system where right. it just gets it all done. And they, very often run the tone of the set, not the director. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, when I Again, saw depending Tim on Burton, depending on who the director is, obviously. Well, exactly. Like I'm very. Um, in fact, I've had first ads that were so quiet that I just ran the set because right. they would be like. I remember one guy called Little Sir Echo, lovely guy, but the way he would do it, I'd say, "Okay, here's what I'm gonna do," and then he would he would walk up to each department and say, "Okay, so we're moving here," and I would be like, "What are you What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I don't like I don't like to yell." I said, "Well." we don't have the time to not yell. So I'd say, okay, everybody, we're moving over here. We're shooting a wide shot and I got a second camera on the, and just so everyone knows at the same time, there's no game of telephone. Yeah. And you know, I'm not a screamer in that it's angry. I'm just communicating. Uh, and I've used the bullhorn before, which typically after about a day, they're like, please take the bullhorn. Yeah. Cause I do stand up. Yeah. I'm just bored. And Hey, how about the, um, uh, but then, yeah, watching Tim Burton work, he was in his chair, kind of quiet, and and the AD would come up with him, like to him, and then he would go, "Okay, everybody, here's what we're doing." Yeah, um, I've I've heard from friends who worked on Coen Brothers. Did you ever work on a Coen Brothers? No, never have. He said the two brothers just kind of talk quietly, like you, if you're more than five feet away, you have no idea, and right. then the AD will go. But they said a uh, friend was watching them make um, uh, Hudsucker Proxy, mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies. If you guys, if, if you. People listening have never seen it. It's, it's amazing. It's their kind of Citizen Kane in some ways, in the it's, way it's shot. It's style. like our podcast, you know, for kids. You know, for, for kids. Um, if you've seen the movie, you'll get that reference. Uh, but great performances. But uh, I, my friend said it was like being in a, a library. Just everyone's mm. quiet. Everyone's working. And I was like, wow, that's yeah. I mean, that's also money and time. <laughs> Right. Which I right. usually don't have. You know, your schedule is, is stuffed and you're like, okay, here's, I just find that standing and kind of shouting to everybody, here's what we're doing. Yeah, you got to make your right? day. There's no time to, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, go, go inwards on your feelings. Right. Well, that's the other thing. Some directors are very, and I've heard this, I've, have ever witnessed it? I've never witnessed it on set with the people I've worked with. Uh, Joe Dante was always very affable and fun. I mean, if you get frustrated, he wouldn't take it out on the crew right. or on a crew member. Um, but I have heard 
of you know I mean the, the, the Jim Camerons the the people like that who kind of yell and scream and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know are, let it be known that they're unhappy. But I I personally feel you don't get a better uh, work out of your crew if they're terrified of you. But you know I, it's more a military style I guess than mine's more yeah. like hey. I'm, from Jim Henson and Leonard Nimoy, like artists who are doing it, it's more like, "Hey, everybody, let's do this," and you know, not. It was probably more jovial than uh, than um, Leonard. He was pretty serious and thought thoughtful, not serious. It's but, funny, um, yeah. I, what's weird is I have good dear friends that I hear are like really angry on set, like, right. like "What the?" You know, like come in and and dress people down. Yeah. Um, the one time I heard about a friend was that he. Dress someone down, but they were abusing an animal. They were abusing a dog. So I'm like, oh, well, that no. is completely warranted. I mean, was that not part of the job? <laughs> and it was like a prop guy, or I don't even know if it was an animal handler or something. But I mean, that makes sense if you're someone's being a jerk on set. Yeah. I was told early on in my career that what you need to do, I think I mentioned this in an earlier uh, podcast or maybe a different one, but. You need to fire somebody, the weakest link. You that's what you yeah, yeah, that's did. We talk about this, yeah. And just to put the fear of God in the crew, like, oh, you better do your job. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. And because I said, well, what if everyone's doing their job? Well, just find someone that you don't like. Then. <laughs> well, there's a there's a famous story. I don't know how uh, apocryphal it is, of uh, Francis Coppola on the first uh, Godfather. Oh, apocryphal now. That's right. Uh that's that's a good one. Wilbur loved that joke, by the way. Well, Wilbur's an easy room, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, Kubrick. Yeah. No, not Kubrick. Coppola. Coppola, Coppola. Coppola. Um, and he was uh, on the first movie. He was all he was in danger every week of being fired at any moment, uh, because there were factions on his crew that were against him. Uh, right. The uh, the you know uh, producer uh, uh, wasn't. Uh, you know, shall we say, uh, experienced, and uh, and everyone was gunning for Coppola. Um, so at some point early in the production, he uh, he fired three people. He fired his first AD. He fired his, uh, 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 I think, uh, one of the uh, editors, and, and he he basically did that uh, to keep them from firing him. He fired him on a Wednesday so that they wouldn't be able to fire him this next weekend. Um, and it's it's crazy because, you know, it's sort of these inner uh, political machinations that you have yeah. to think about. And, you know, I don't know if it's that way anymore, but certainly in those uh, early days of the Wild West of, uh, of the 70s, um, that was that was something that you had to consider because of the. Uh, it's a very sort of closed system, and there's a lot of people who want the gig that you have, you know. Well, and are, especially when you're new. I mean, uh, David Fincher was telling me stories from uh, Aliens Three. Yeah. Where he got this ridiculous script. I mean, the original script it was a wooden asteroid run yeah. by monks. Yeah, the yeah, one that uh, Vincent Ward was going to do. I guess, yeah. Uh, I don't remember that detail, but I'm sure that's true. I would doubt and don't doubt the veracity of your filmic knowledge. Yeah, uh, Vincent Ward, but who, I remember who, that. Yeah, who later did uh, what dreams may come uh, was going to right. do Alien Three, right? And I guess the producers were on him the entire time. Like half the crew is like, and David was like twenty five. Yeah, 
And they're like, who's this jerk? I mean, he'd done some rock videos and that were successful, maybe 26. And, uh, you know, just grueling. And the same thing, kind of looking over his shoulder, like, are they going to... And he thought, I mean, he told me afterwards, he thought they were going to fire him. Yeah. You know, just... And it was a and it was a real grind. Because also, he's fighting with the producers with the script, because yeah. it was ridiculous. Um, it's kind of a... It's an interesting film. Uh, um, you know, I mean, talk about... Uh, Ridley Scott, James Cameron, and then you and your 26 and it's yeah. your first feature film. I mean, the fact that he didn't just implode and or you know run away screaming is here. A why don't you do this crappy script? Yeah, yeah, and and you know he's the new guy, so he can't really yeah do what he, he has does no now, power, which knows. is why he was there. Yeah. Right, right, which is interesting. I mean, they know oh he's a visual he's a visual guy. Mm-hmm. He gets camera. He comes from effects. So yeah, he's great. We can push him around. Which, yeah. Well, now it's interesting. Like, I mean, the complete opposite. I was just reading an article about him and Mindhunter. Right. And they wanted to do a season three. He's like, no, nah, I don't want Because they said, well, can you do it for less? And can you make it more pop culture-y so it's not so, you know, intellectual? And he's like, nah, I don't want to do that. Nah. I'm like, damn, I wish I had that. I wish right. people were coming to me with like, we want to do another Muppet Haunted Mansion movie or the Muppets go to hell or something. I'm like, yeah, no. What's the budget? Yeah, no, I've done that. I don't want to do that again. Um, well, Sunday. Uh, so... Someday. The the great thing is you can say no to all these things that come to you in your imagination. Thanks, Darren. No, that's good. It'll be good. Because then you won't hurt your career. Well, as it it is. (laughs) Falling back on animation. I mean, I love animation. I mean, I'm a big fan of animation and and the show. Again, I've said this multiple times. Nickelodeon treats me way better than I was treated by the uh, fine folk at the uh, Mouse Organization. Right. Um, as a creative person, I don't mean like people were yelling and slapping me, but I also bit, uh, Disney's business affairs are brutal. I yeah. mean, they're just, sorry, take it or leave it. I think I said they, they changed, they sent me a new contract about every two months while I'm doing it saying, Oh, you got to sign it. I'm like, I thought I signed it. You wouldn't even pay me my first payment until I signed it. Yeah. Well, we, we need you to sign it again. I'm like, okay. And just to get paid, which I can't believe is legal, but you know, you want to hire a lawyer for half yeah, the money they pay. Right. Yeah. It's, um, well, it, it's funny that when uh, when Disney bought Marvel, uh, you know, they were the only company who who uh, they said, "Wow, these guys are cheap." <laughs> yeah. Well, Kevin uh, Kevin Feige, who I've become friendly with, or I would say we're friends, is an amazing. I mean, he's an amazingly he's the perfect guy for that job. He grew up loving the genre. Yeah. He knows the Marvel stuff. He's not. So many executives come in and they're like, you know, Harvard MBA or there's some guy who maybe had an English major, but they're usually lawyers or business people. But to get a creative who's not, you know, who doesn't fancy himself a writer director, but a well, creative producer is, is who's that good. Is absolutely. Tough. Well, and the great thing about Kevin is that even though he wasn't completely familiar with all the comics, he dove in and he learned right. it. He, well, he's definitely he's a huge Star Trek fan, which not a lot of people know. That's, that's he's a bigger Star Trek fan, at least growing up, than he was uh, a Marvel fan. Was, yeah, that's what he told me. Like, he loves the Trek series. I mean, he, uh, you know, I think he would love to, you know, do a Trek, produce a Trek thing or something. Um, Obviously, but, uh, uh, I, I, I would be all for that. Well, he gets it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I just became friends with uh, Todd Stashwick, who played yeah. Shaw. 
Yeah. And I said, oh my God, I mean, you the fan response to your character, and they're, they're bringing it back. He goes, I don't know if they're doing it. Sounds like. And Terry Metalis is another friend. He said, There's, mm-hmm. right now, they're not doing any new Trek. They're, yeah. they're kind of paring it down. They're letting the shows end and, and not necessarily, which is kind of sad. I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe we they have to realize that, that the studio itself is months away from being purchased by someone. But you'd think that between, uh, (laughs) well, Indiana Jones, is that still a Paramount owned, co-owned property? No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I figured Disney bought that. Uh, I guess they just had the distribution because that was a big deal when, when we were there doing Trek 4, Indiana Jones was a huge, in fact, it's one of the reasons ILM was given the Star Trek 4 effects is because they didn't want to (laughs) piss off ILM because they were going to do the next, uh, India, uh, Temple of Doom. Now, I, I um, told you, I told you back in uh, what that was eighty six, right? Yes. Um, when they yeah. were, when you guys were doing post production on Star Trek Four, uh, you your the editing rooms were one of the first places I visited, going along with my friend who was doing the ILM runs uh, in L.A. Oh, wow. I went along with him in the Vader van. Uh, uh, on his uh, route, and we visited uh, Trek Four. Uh, we visited. Uh, did we visit the Indy? Probably not yet. No, no. Did that they, that was later. Editing? That was later. Um, but did they shoot Temple of Doom th- on the Paramount lot? Not Temple of Doom. No, that was that was eighty three. That was shot in eighty two. Temple of Doom. Last Crusade. Really Last Crusade was uh, Crusade. was eighty eight. Yeah. Okay, so with the Star Trek four, yeah, it wouldn't have been there. Yet. No, Star, Star Trek, Trek. Yeah, 4. Star Trek four was eighty six, uh, and mm-hmm. and released in eighty seven, right? Or no? I, I released know, in November of eighty six. Yes, it was end of eighty six because we yeah, started yeah. shooting. Uh, did we shoot in eighty six? And I was one year from shooting to delivery, or was it like it? It's hard to remember. I, I know I started on it in 85 at some point. Yeah. It might have been late 85. We were, uh, you know, mid or fall 85. I think we shot, I know we shot like spring of 86. So right. yeah, that would make sense. And it was, yeah, that sounds was, about right. Because I, I got into town. Our premiere was about the same time that the Next Generation launched. When it was announced. Because Next Generation came out in 87. Right, but we went to the launch party, not the launch, the premiere. Right, the launch at Paramount that they had launched it, and I met some of the you know the unknowns who were the cast right, members that they there. had started production on it. Yeah, yeah, right. it was announced, and they were and they were on the lot. Yep, um, we had a great editor, Peter. I'm forgetting his last name uh, on on Trek. So did you meet? No, no, no. It wasn't that exotic of a last name. I, I could Google it, but, you know. Well, not when I can Google Maybe. it. I could Google it. I yeah, could. I okay, um, Google. No, I watch this. Okay, Google. Who is the editor on Star Trek IV? Uh-huh. Here is information from Wikipedia. Peter Berger. Pete Peter Berger. Berger. Yeah. There was some AI right there. So we're now we're 94%. 90, 94%. AI. Okay, well, let's talk about that. I mean, I love that we say, "Okay, here's what we're talking about," and then <laughs> yeah. we never end up talking about it. No, that's um, the, that's well, part of the part of the draw of this part uh, of the show. Yeah, you guys are along for the ride just as we are. Um, this is not a highly curated experience. 
Um, AI, there's a lot of haters, and I get it. If it's, you know, combing the internet for people's work and then using it. But a part yeah. of me goes, as an artist, I mean, Sid Mead, Frank Verzet, all these artists, I bought their books and I absorbed it. And that, you know, what spits out is my, it, it, AI is doing exactly what artists do. No artist grows up in a vacuum. Visual artists, I mean, maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah, was but, but, you know, we can't uh, just uh, Xerox some Sid Mead pages, cut them and paste them and, no. and, and pass it off as our own. That's the difference. No, AI know, does that. Yes, but... <laughs> but it and again, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying how far off is it from, I mean, guys I know who really are in the Star Wars, Star Trek universe who, you know, we're copying. Sydney you know, you know what Ron the Kong. difference is? Because no one pays AI for it. Nobody pays Ron Cobb when you cop, copy his style. Well, that's what I'm saying. Artists copy. I mean, what is it? Picasso? It's, it's yes, but it's, it's not copying a style. It's copying images. It's not doing a no. style. It is it is taking but, images and doing a paste up. It's a it's a it's a, it's mean, a very uh, elaborate paste up, and it's uh, and it's invisible. It's a, I would say it's more of a. Uh, a it's not interpreting. The... It's not interpreting. But it is. If you say I want a Rob Cobb desired baby carriage, it can't go take a Rod and Cobb baby carriage and just paste it up. It's going to say what that look is and go, all right, here's a, here's what a baby carriage looks like. Here's how Ron Cobb draws things. It, it, ma it's a mashup. This is the word I was looking for. I think. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that would be an interesting test to give it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'm curious. because uh, nine times out of 10, it is grabbing that artist's work and taking recognizable shapes and images from that and cobbling them together. Well, I, you know what? We should have an AI programmer and ask because I'm, That'd I am be curious. I, yeah. Me too. I thought it was more that my interpretation is that it takes it like I would, if I go, all right, I'm on a sci-fi series and they want a baby carriage that floats and everyone, you know, everyone says, Oh, Ron Cobb, we love that. Look, all right, Ron Cobb's dead. I have his books. I'm going to pour through it and kind of, you know, use his illustration style and his, blockier shapes he has a distinct style mm -hmm. like compared to like sid mead or you know any anyone else and then what i've done is is ron cobbified i mean you see it all the time particularly uh in the 70s and 80s uh frank verzetta copyists right ken kelly comes to mind yeah. um and other guys boris like, you know, boris vallejo boris, yeah boris vallejo Boris Vallejo, you know, kind of copied the subject matter and the poses, but his style is much more over-rendered. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean yeah, it's Frizzetta tighter. It's tighter. Much tighter. But well, that's what I loved about Frizzetta. I mean, so much of it was like, you know, Dean Cornwall was like more of the, uh, the what was uh, indicated. That was a right. word I learned at ILM, indication. Right. Like, And that's why Frizzetta was great. You, you're you putting, you're filling in the blanks. Yeah. Except for boobs and butts. He, he gave a lot of information, but faces. Like, I remember Frazetta paintings, I would pour over them. Like, uh, you know, Beautiful Woman's Nose was just like a shadow. Yeah. Just a little boop. And their eyes were just that kind of cat's eye. Right. With very little, you know, uh, rendering around it. Uh, well, but, you know, draw what you know. <laughs> or draw what you know. It's about focusing the eye. Right. And knowing his audience, he knew where to focus the eye. But the thing is, all those guys, nobody went... I mean, you could say that guy copies Frazetta or that guy obviously was influenced by Frazetta right. if you wanted to be polite. But 
nobody's like raising a stink about it. Now, I, I get it because I think part of it is the efficacy that AI does it. It combs the internet for every Iran cop yeah. illustration. And, and, but you can't be mad about it because that's what computers do well, just like they do math better than us. Right. But, but I mean, you when you can be mad about it, sorry, you can be mad about it. But, but, but you know, but when it isn't, it isn't, it isn't doing art, it is doing collating. Yes, I, that, I agree. I, I agree. Well, and a human has to cure it. It's still, you can't just go, hey, make spaceships. I mean, you can't yeah, have but seen that, the But that is what people are doing. Yes, but they usually the crap comes out unless it's curated by someone with an artistic sense. They might not be. But that's the a thing; good... those people with the artistic sense are being cut out of the equation. That's what's no, happening. No, no, I don't. I don't agree a hundred percent. I say artists. If you're a if you're a guy who went to art center and you're amazing at previs art, uh, and whatever style you've developed your own style, yes, I would be angry and scared because you're that. If that's your trick. AI, it's it's like if you're a really good guy who did math in your head and calculators came along, you're like, go! Yeah. Um, uh, and lawyers, I mean, AI, I think, is going to affect, you know, it, it, the jobs it's not going to affect is car repairmen and plumbers because that's, you know, and plasterers and house painters. But uh, lawyers, because uh, so many of my, my dad was a lawyer and, you know, paralegals and people who mm -hmm. know, who know all the, you know, all the books to go get and research. Right. AI can do that in seconds as opposed to hours of, I mean, uh, a friend, one dear friend of mine, their son is a lawyer and he works for like uh, Amazon or Google or one of those big, and you know, but the first four years of out of law school, he was just buried deep in the, in the libraries looking up, you know, doing research to prove cases. And now AI is going, but is the going difference to is the difference is lawyers leave. will not, will not use AI. Because no one wants to take billable hours and turn them into billable seconds. Well, but, <laughs> you know, tell that to the people who, uh, tell that to the accountants who got work pulled. Now, is it as good? I can't speak to that. But when, you know, what is it? The, the tax software, they're like, I don't need to go to HR Block. Right. I can just type in, like, you know, and, and it does the stuff that an accountant or tax accountant would do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think lawyers at the top of the food chain, it's going to, it's going to, uh, it's sort of like auto body workers, like the guys designing and finishing and all that. But if you were a guy who went, boom, 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 you know, putting wheels on or that riveting, that I mean, that's being <laughs> taken away. Uh, so I, I think it's the, you know, and that's, so it's a glass half full, half empty. Like some people are like, yes, all that terrible grunt work that humans you know, is repetitive and boring and not interesting is going to be taken away. And then the people who do it, whatever it is, whether it's paralegals or, and again, I'm very broad strokes here. I, you know, I, I know enough to be dangerous, uh, but are, <laughs> and, and again, the glass half full is like, Oh, they won't have to do that anymore. And like, people are like, well, that was my freaking job, man. That's what I did. Well, that's Start the thing. To sound like Shaggy, man. Look, we've, we've always had the problem of the, uh, the, the, gap between the people with the money and the artists, right? right. They've well, always yeah. been uh, maintained separately, and artists have always been regarded as people who don't have real jobs. They just play and paint and, and uh, draw. Right, we have fun and laugh. Yeah. And, and, yeah. yeah, and it's all fun, and, you know, we can replace them easily. You know, we'll just, uh, we'll just oh, yeah, get, you know, I, get some other monkeys I mean, in here to do this job because uh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And to the people who don't know the difference, it doesn't matter. That's the sad part. 
Well, but that you can't be mad at AI for that. You well, can't I'm be not mad at, mad at AI. Right. I'm well, mad. At, people... I'm mad at the people who use AI rather than pay artists. Well, but weren't you mad at them before? I mean, they're they're tasteless, you know, uh, producers, executives. Yeah, whatever. I was mad at them before, and I'm still right, mad so at them hasn't... for different reasons. <laughs> so that's what I mean. It hasn't. I guess that's in the in, you know going into the the macrocosm. It hasn't changed the landscape much. It's like people without taste who feel that artists are replaceable are now they have another thing in their tool belt to go. Oh, I don't need. But if you're a background artist for an animated series, I'd be nervous. You know, I mean, but it's it happened. It happened kind with of cell painters. You should be nervous. <laughs> but it happened with cell painters. That was a job for mainly for women up until the seventies, and then. Yeah. Well, probably the 80s. And then now it's all done well, by a computer by like three people could do the job that 30 did. But that's, you know, obviously that's that's what always happens in various uh, uh, Right, right. So is are we just places. Yeah, But the difference is, the difference is you can't retrain yourself to be an AI. No, I, I'm well aware. That's that. the difference. You can retrain yourself well, to well, do that ink and paint work on a computer, but you can't you can't uh, replace what has replaced you. That's the difference. No, and that I understand, and I understand why people are angry and 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 frightened or yeah. you know scared. Um, but still, at the end of the day, I don't hate the idea of AI. I have, I have a dear friend who gets really angry when I talk about AI. She's a visual artist, and she went through school and mm -hmm. studied to be character designer. And I get it. I understand why she's frustrated, but. She's also frustrated because, you know, people less talented than her get jobs all the time. And all that the comes time. down to personality and who you know and all that. So <laughs> it's it's another thing to be angry about if it's ruining your career or, or stop, you know, cock blocking your well, career. Well, it's, it's one more one more reason to hate. <laughs> but I so what I think AI is going to do is is invigorate the concept of an auteur. You can make your own film now with you know a green screen a camera and ai or not even use cameras you can generate it and again they're not going to be great in the beginning and they're going to be very obviously uh you know ai uh, aided if not driven entirely but as a creator who would love to sit in a room and just you know do my characters and have them rendered out better than i could do it that's that's happening and, and to me it's exciting um, and again, the industry, I haven't left the industry. The industry has been leaving me for a while. Right. So in some ways I feel, well, at least I can make stuff. I'm not, I mean, the hardest thing about what we do is, you know, we have an idea or a drawing or a, a script and you need 20 to 40 people to make it a thing. Yeah. Well, th th no, that's the thing. We, we've never had the lack of ability or drive to make stuff. Uh, we always have that capability. The capability that's being taken away is being able to make money off this stuff that we make. Well, or is it, been t I mean, then you, I mean, this is another thing I want to talk about. Not today. We're going to talk, originally we were like, we're going to talk about mental health and dating and we haven't touched on either. <laughs> so at some point on this podcast, we'll talk about mental health and dating and weird sex positions that Darren really likes. Oh, have I said too much? That's not, that, that was to get them totally to not enough. Life. Apparently. <laughs> That's so they'll tune in next week. Maybe they'll talk about that. We'll just keep anyway. But I digest. My, my wildest position is active. <laughs> Currently seeking work. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that that applies to my dating life, too. That's right, ladies. We're single. 
And we're not a couple. I Speak know, for yourself. I know we'd be a wait, you're a couple? <laughs> yes. Is that a fact? Don't you just self own your <laughs> I identify um, as a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to say, you know, uh, you're, you're only, li- you know, the crazy stuff I'd say, they go, well, you're just listening to the banquet that's going on in my head. So I identify as a <laughs> a group of drunken sailors on a ship that doesn't know where it's going. Well, and I just. So, they are making their outward appearance known. <laughs> Did you hear that, Wilbur? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh what the hell were we talking about? No, we were talking about AI and how it's uh, yeah, in, influencing our health and welfare and uh, how that influences our uh, our lives. Well, it's certainly, yeah, a lot of people are depressed and angry about it. I still think as a creator, as somebody who wants to do my own stuff, uh, you know, even down to 3D printing now, mm-hmm. you know, you can get, I mean, it's crazy. I watch AI YouTube videos of, of um, AI uh, kind of journalists, I guess they're, they're guys who dabble in it, but then basically go, here's this crazy new thing. And it's, it's an onslaught. It's a tsunami of programs yeah. that are either free or pretty reasonable coming out weekly that are, you know, that all basically do the same thing, but have no, slightly different, slightly different ways of working with them. Yeah. But there's a range of outputs. I mean, from voice and voice and video, there's now AI where you can film yourself you or I could just film ourselves for three minutes talking to just, you know, either reading a script or just, mm-hmm. and then it will create a virtual version of you that you just type in what you want. Right. And I mean, you know, we should try that. We should try doing a, a AI generated versions of us and do the show. We'll just do the audio and let it and see what, or type in. I don't know. It'd be curious. I mean, not, not this next month, but. It would be fun just to see how good or bad it would be. I, I'm when you see these uh, demos, you're like, "Holy cow, that's yeah. amazing!" I mean, at some point, you think, "Well, our news, our newscaster, because it'd be just somebody typing in the stuff, and there's a perfectly good-looking well, man, woman, child, alien, little, dog." Those a little news. bit of news that came up uh, this past week when I read the stories of uh, uh, Sports Illustrated shutting down. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, Apparently, they've been using AI to create reporters and have been putting out stories, and no oh. one has known. Like ChatGPT yeah. uh, generated stories, but they give them the topic, I'm assuming. It's not just like Comey. Well, I, would, I would guess. Yeah. Uh, wow. But no one knew until they were caught at it. Well, first of all, uh, print media, the... I mean, I'm shocked at the the terrible. I, I was like, boy, these nobody's uh, spell checking even. Yeah. I mean, spell checking or even grammatically checking half the news I read or well, the stories I read. On to the quote Egon Spengler, print is dead. It's been dead for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I read every day, but I just read what's on the internet, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I I haven't read a book, uh, a fiction book for fun in probably seven years, and I was reading. Uh, young adult stuff to try and turn into it because <laughs> I'm like, well, they don't want my ideas. Let's yeah. find, you know, it's that's the new thing. Find a book. I mean, there's a person at the Henson Company whose job is to find these books when they first come out and option them for a song because can, it's a new author. You can just say it's Scooter. That's fine. You can say who it is. It's Scooter. Hey, Chief, <laughs> I found a new book. Um, so that was the last time I read it for work, you know, or for at least potential work. Um, but yeah, and and 
I used to be a voracious reader. I mean, mm-hmm. sci-fi, which I'm sure nobody's shocked at, and, and a little bit of fantasy. But, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we talk about sci-fi authors. I think the most current sci-fi author who's still alive that I read was um, David Brin and uh, uh, Orson Scott Card. Mm-hmm. And they were like, they were hitting big in the 80s. Yeah. So, which was about the last time I read for fun. It was up until the early 90s. And partially that's because my work changed. I started writing and being in a more literary world. So right. I, was, I also was worried that, you know, how much of that, well, there's another, okay, there's another way that AI can take, I mean, there was a, there was a, a contest in the seventies, um, uh, Mimic Hemingway, that's not the title. Right. It was basically. No, yeah. They, they would have a yearly, uh, uh, right, right like Ernest Hemingway contest. Contest and the winner would, and it, usually they were funny, but they were, yeah. you know, and the, usually the subject was funny. But there's, you know, there's a style. Uh, Stephen King has a style. Right. Ray Bradbury definitely had a style. So AI could probably read, you know, all the Ray Bradbury books and go, write me a Ray Bradbury story about a pumpkin that comes alive on Halloween. And right. I'm sure it would do a passable job. I, it's an experiment I haven't tried yet, where how many readers would go, you know, and you could say, we just found a Ray Bradbury short story, let's say, like, a you know, a novella, somewhere between that and said, and it's a, it's called, you know, Halloween Jack, and it's about a pumpkin that comes alive with the spirit of a, a, a boy's dead brother. And, you know, it's very kind of warm and fuzzy and, and uh, Halloween uh, tree kind of story. The first, the first people... line of the Ray Bradbury story is, I wasn't imagining it. The pumpkin was moving. There you go. <laughs> That's it. <See? laughs> no, I thought it would be much more fly. I loved his, uh, his prose because he would get so poetic. Mm-hmm. It was... It was a, you know, it was a fall evening like no other. The leaves cr- crispy rustling in the, you know, he would just, yeah. I just love the way he would paint a picture uh, as opposed to like Asimov or Heinlein, who would be very kind of dry and more fact-based. My favorite, uh, my favorite Bradbury short story uh, is a really simple one. And I've always wanted to make a, a short film of it. It's called The Sound of Summer Running. It's about... Yeah. It's about a kid who sees this new pair of sneakers in the store window, and he fantasizes how it would be to have these new sneakers at the beginning of summer. And it's poetic and beautiful and lyrical, and it's my favorite short story. And uh, it it His, has such a it's an has an atmosphere clinging around it. That's I would say that's what his stuff more than any other at least science fiction fantasy author. He would create a vibe, uh-huh. uh, you know. Again, obviously about summers and summers and falls. Mm-hmm. You know, crisp autumn air and warm summer days and dandelion wine and yes. and and the just, change, and, the change you know, in the world and your reaction to it. And usually from the perspective of a, a boy, you know, just on the verge of, of uh, manhood, you know, between twelve and fourteen, right? Uh, like you know, somewhat like Stephen King's The Body, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just about being and. And again, being a boy, when I started reading that stuff, I'm probably 12 or 13, it like, oh, wow. But he, he would paint such, uh, like, po- it was poetic. I mean, he wrote yeah. a very prosy prose. Poetic prose, yeah. <laughs> poetic prose, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't lurid, but it was, I mean, it was it was lurid in a, in a, a very warm, fuzzy way. Uh, even his stories on Mars, yeah. you know, M is for Mars and stuff, just had 
dark they were and golden eyed. I mean, you know, there's just like a way to describe other people like Edgar Rice Burroughs was like, they had forearms and golden bronze skin, their yeah. muscles, you know, just yeah. the same thing, but completely different approach. And it's funny and, that, uh, it, you know, Bradbury's Mars stories are very simple stories, except really? for that one thing. Oh, we're on Mars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I love the one, I don't remember the name of it, but where, they're finding all this old Martian machinery. Yeah. And it was an amusement park ride where you're on a train that goes out of control and, and crashes. And he's talking about how you're feeling the hot metal and bolts like piercing your body. And, and it's a, like a VR thing. And you basically get to ride a train into destruction right. where you're, you know, mutilated beyond belief. And then, you know, and then it's done. And I'm like, oh, yeah. If, if I mean, we're heading towards that. Not with the physical reaction. but Now coming you know, to the wind in Las Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> that's my train. Yeah, but I thought, hey, what an amazing idea! I mean, this was back in the fifties, I guess. Yeah, and uh, but to to take that sort of idea of what a roller coaster mm-hmm. and go, well, take it to its logical conclusion. If you want to be scared, how scared are you? If you actually die on it, right? But it's a it's a recreation of that or a simulation. I was like, oh, that. And but the way he described it, you know, the bits of glass flying through your face and, and it's just like, wow, that's just, yeah, he was, he was one of my favorite authors. And what's interesting when it, relating to screenwriting, cause he did write scripts. Yeah. Um, he wrote, I've the, never read any of it. He wrote Moby script. Dick. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he adapted it. Well, the, um, the screenplay. The screenplay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, but he'd written others. Well, he didn't write Fahrenheit 451, did no. he? Though Truffaut. Yeah. yeah. But um, again, amazing ideas. But he, he wrote amazing ideas, but in a less dry kind of Asimov Heinlein sort of way. Uh, but screenplay, it made me think of screenplays because when I started writing screenplays, just my own stuff, I would try to evoke some of that. And basically I was told, well, there's two schools of thought. When I started writing, my friends, my college friends were all selling screenplays, the Shane Black and Fred mm-hmm. Decker and... Uh, those guys were, were uh, 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 the guy who wrote, uh, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, Craig, uh, the Highlander. So these are guys I went to college right. with, and we're all in our mid-20s, and they're selling major screenplays. And uh, Shane and Fred Decker would write these scripts that were funny. In other words, it was not... There could be fun in what happened in the script, but the read was funny. Right. And it was really clever because then readers would enjoy reading it because that's how you got your script sold. Hmm. It wasn't just like John entered the room. He looked, he scanned it with, right. you know, he's, he, he looks around and, and, and poking out of the door is, you know, a terrifying visage. It would be like. You had to and, entertain uh, the levels of readers that you have to go through. Exactly. One, the, the one thing I remember was from the creeps was, uh, you know, he looked up and an old goat uh, uh, an old goat was peering around the corner, uh, eyeing, him, eyeing him warily. Oh wait, that wasn't an old goat. It was the you know the um, the house mother of the dorm, and you know. But you're like, oh, I get it. So it would it would evoke an image, but also make you laugh. Yeah. Um, and I tried that, and I was kind of had my hand slapped by a reader, like you're 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 making your script longer, and you're just kind of you know gilding the lily, like just tell the let the story be the entertaining part. And I'm like. Okay, well, obviously, again, readers, that's the one thing I do hate about the business is development executives. Mm -hmm. I don't hate them in mass, but most of them have no, 
they give their opinion and they're not attached to it, whether it gets made or not. Right. So of course it's easy for them to just go, no, I hate it. I don't like it. And find all the reasons not to like it. It's not their job to get things made. It's their, jo- it's their job to not yeah. be blamed for getting something made. Exactly. <laughs> and so you're, and they're usually in their twenties and they just graduated with English majors or they yeah. want to be screenwriters themselves. So of course they're kind of like, ugh, ugh, this has been done before. Right. Um, and it's such a, and they're the, they're the gatekeepers to get to the gatekeepers. Yeah. And that's what, and that was very frustrating as a writer. Whereas, you know, if you're a known, if you're a name, if you're William Goldman, which is like going to the top of the chart, but even somebody who's sold something. Even if you're Oscar Goldman. <laughs> Felix. Um, uh, <laughs> no, that's Oscar Madison. I know. I know. I was just thinking of famous Oscars. <laughs> what if it's great? If Oscar Madison had played Oscar Gold, <laughs> Steve, Steve, we can rebuild you. <laughs> oh There's... my God! You keep that. You keep that mechanical eye out of my way. It is going to be trouble. That's right, Austin. You're a menace. Uh, Oscar, that um, was uh, that was linguine. There you go. There's there's a mashup. Uh, Steve Austin. Steve Oscar with Oscar Madison. The six million the, the dollar odd couple. odd couple. The what? The yeah, the six million dollar odd couple. couple there you go. <laughs> and Steve Austin's just really, really um, meticular. It's, it's still played by Tony Randall. Or Tony Randall or Jack Lemmon. <laughs> uh, Oscar. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> I was making linguini. Now it's garbage. Now it's garbage. <laughs> yes. Anyway, but we digest. Um. So, <laughs> AI <laughs> dating. I don't want to talk about AI anymore. This AI is why we're doing this podcast because this is what we would sit at conventions and and just do this for yeah, a few hours. Yeah, while people wouldn't line up. Yeah, while people were avoiding us like the plague. <laughs> are you are you doing any are you doing any cons besides? I know you're doing. I assume you're doing Wonderfest. Uh, I'm gonna do Wonderfest. Uh, Any other? Uh, and, are you gonna do uh, Vegas? You do Vegas every year. The I Trek think Con. I don't know. It's too far away. It's too far away to know. Because uh, oh, you know, you mean time wise? Because I, I don't wise. get. I don't. You know, they don't pay me to go to that, so I got to right, pay for right, it right. myself. So if I can, I will. But if I can't, I won't. Uh, they have never invited me, and I don't get it after being on Trek. Three, I mean, four times, really. It's because you don't have an agent handling just that. Well, and I'm getting one. In fact, uh, I've had a lovely email exchange and a phone call with Aaron Gray. Aaron Gray, yeah. Who, who has a company called Heroes for Hires. Yep. Heroes for Hire. And she just booked me uh, in um, for uh, July in Knoxville at in Family July. Expo. Nice. In July. In July. Nerds go in July. Nerds we know a there. place where nerds flock to. Every July, <laughs> nerds grow there. Nerds, nerds really grow there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Erin so, is great. We had her on the Trexperts uh, uh, a couple years ago. Did she ever? Did she ever? Uh, was she ever guest on any of the Treks? Yeah. Uh, no. She. Uh, well, I know what she's. No. I, mean, I know her background, but I didn't know if she ever guest starred or played a. She never did. She never did. But uh, I think she auditioned you for on Next Generation. As, did you have her on as We a, had her on as a Trek-adjacent guest. Trek-adjacent, yeah. Yeah. 
because you know who wouldn't want to talk to Erin Gray? She's uh, oh, amazing. she's lovely. I yeah. mean, I, again, I met her on the phone, and uh, we had a love. I mean, she's incredibly intelligent and uh, incisive, but uh, very uh, friendly. You like, you don't feel yeah. like she's business only. Yeah. Yep. So that was that was nice. So we just literally today, I got the email. That's awesome. Saying that she had well, because I I had an agent who was lovely, but she was very new. Mm-hmm. And I would say, hey, you know, find out about this con and this con. And then she's, she would just say, I emailed him. I'm like, okay. And she follow up? No. no, I never heard back. Well, yeah. Okay. Kind then of, I uh, could do yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. And she was a lovely person. I think she was swamped, but she was trying to just get as many guests. And, and I kept getting. She just cons. wasn't experienced. She, just wasn't experienced. Yeah. Well, and I kept getting work and giving her the percentage of it. Yeah. And going, but you okay, were doing all the work. Point, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much been my experience with agents my entire career. Yeah. I had one agent who I loved. We were still friends. Uh, but I got one job right. out of all the years yeah. I've had agents. And I would say I've been having, I've had agents since, let's say, well, let's be conservative, 30 years. Wow. <laughs> and only one has ever gotten me paid work. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, every job I've had is it's who you know and in relationships, which is, Again, probably true in car sales and, and computer programming. I, I just, it is, it is a, uh, I think agents are great for saying no. When you're Brad Pitt or you're David Fincher right. and, you know, people want to see if you're even available and the agent can be, well, you know, he doesn't do anything for less than 10 million or whatever it is. They're great because you don't have to deal with it and you're not answering your phone all the time. When people want you, you need an agent. When right. People don't know who you are. Yeah. Is when, when you really need an agent, but they don't want to do the work. That's correct. I, I found, yeah. Uh, well, if you're listening to this uh, this uh, episode, uh, you've missed our live uh, streaming event with uh, uh, Trek Live Con, uh, and well, can, which which happened which happened on the twelfth. Uh, you can take a look in our channel. And, which month? Uh, of February. Month. February. Yeah. Uh, yes, and uh, you just missed it. It was this past uh, Saturday, uh, and. and will it- Will it be on our YouTube it'll, channel? It'll be on our YouTube channel that you can uh, check out. Uh, and uh, hopefully there's a whole bunch of uh, new people who've uh, learned about our podcast who have joined us since then. Yeah, I, My cousins don't care about Star Trek, so I don't... <laughs> um, but well, we, again, that's right great because out... we don't talk about Star Trek. No, no, no. We don't talk about Star Trek. <laughs> well, we, we, we do glancing references. Um like we, visiting the editing room. That we was expect we expect you to know more about Star Trek than we talk about. Yes, I love Star Wars. I mean, uh, that, that's an old one. Uh, all right. So AI, love it or hate it. <laughs> it, it, it AI is no good for. You dating. know what's bad? When I'm the one trying to bring us back on some kind of topic. Um, but AI's here to stay. There's no getting around it. Or so I decide. You know, I welcome our robot overlords. And uh, AI is here I, to stay until people get bored with it, and then something else will take its place. No, it's a tool. I mean, it's it's like saying who you call it a tool? <laughs> it's a tool. It's a freaking tool. Um, it's like saying you know, uh, 3D printers are the new fad. Yeah, yeah, but they ain't going anywhere. They 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 have not lived out their their uh, useful cycle, and I think right. AI is going to just get more. So you can hate it if you want, but. Well, the difference is AI doesn't have a $600 barrier to getting started to work with it, whereas uh, 3D printing does. 
Yes, but say, it used to be six thousand dollars. Now it's three thousand dollars. Now it's five hundred bucks. Yeah, and the quality I, I've been looking at it. It's it's one of those things. Like, I do I need another hobby? <laughs> and uh, for two years, for, for two years, I've had a printer in boxes waiting for me to open it up. I don't want to get involved with it because it's going to take up too much freaking time, and I'm just on, waiting yeah. till I actually have time to do it. You want to design your own version of a phaser and print it out so you can bring it to conventions and go, look at my phaser. No. No. I, I would do it well, for I, myself. I, again, I'm a tech head. One of the things I shared with Jim Henson, whoop, did I drop my drop to name? <laughs> um, the love of technology. And 3D printing wasn't even a, I mean. It wasn't, even a, it wasn't even an idea yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really wasn't an idea. I mean, it was an idea in sci-fi. But uh, he loved computers and the computer technology, and I think Jim would have had, you know, sort of like um, um, Legacy, which was what Stan Winston's right. studio after Stan Pass became Legacy. They have a room the size of a supermarket, well, the size of a 7-Eleven filled with 3D printers from the ones that do, uh, you know, from, uh, lick, uh, what is it, resin to, right. uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, the thread, not threads, uh, yeah. spooling. Filament. Yeah, filament filament printers resin printers and even i think centering ones that go up to like you could print parts of cars right and uh, a friend of mine who works there has just said most of their stuff now well all their um costume wardrobe things are 3d printed right and and half of their uh they're getting into the 3d printing uh prosthetics and makeup too mm -hmm. if it's not you know like if it's horns or something right so, uh, you know, I, I was looking at the Bamboo X1, I think, Ultra or something. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I love tech, so, I, but I'm just I do, too. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a sinkhole that you can get stuck in. Yeah. In I, terms of I, time I, and money. Absolutely. Well, uh, I used to love making things and, um, you know, actually producing a thing. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why, you know, and, and sculpting, molding, casting, all that was fun. I don't really have a, a space for it anymore. Yeah. And I don't have a space for a 3D printer. It's like getting a mini fridge and going, oh, I'll just put it, you know, right. I'll just put it at the dining room table. Uh, also, there's the fumes. That's and all also that good stuff. for dating. You want to see my 3D? Instead of my etchings now, do you want That's to see right. my 3D printing? I have a lot of 3D printings that uh, you might be uh, interested in. <laughs> I've I've done my own version of R two D two. That is, uh, it's sort of like a version two. It uh, uh, it solves most of the problems that the original one had. Uh, let me yeah, put it yeah, that the way. Yeah, the Astromex. Uh, there, these are uh, definitely uh, something that knife uh, flavor requires. <laughs> uh, but um. I know those people. But that's in fact that's what I used to do. I would design my version of Frankenstein. I would mm -hmm. read Shelley's book and go, okay. Like, and I, I was fascinated why the flat head, mm -hmm. you know, why Jack Pierce said, oh, he should have a flat head. And it's because he, I guess he looked at earlier, early brain surgery where they, where they, they had really the, the top it. cut off. Yeah. Yeah. The top cut off. So it should have been like his forehead should have been here, not here. Right. But it still was, just became so iconic. So I would design, you know, my creature, the Black Lagoon, my werewolf. And, and uh, so that's what I would do now is here's my, uh, here's my version of something. And I've, look, I've 3D printed it. And they're like, why? Well, because, you know, my dad's best friend built birdhouses. Now I 3D print monster. It's a thing building, to do. Because building things. 
and, and things. Well, and then let's just be grateful we live in a world and that we are in a country and we are in a, a socioeconomic bracket where we can do that as opposed to I'm keeping the, the wolves from eating my child this tonight by, you know, whatever. I, it, that's the other thing. I mean, talk about first world problems. Should I get a 3D printer? Or should I buy let's, a new... Uh, uh, let's put it this way, uh, Kirk. Uh, the... Uh... Uh, the child is uh, our creative uh, future, and the wolves are AI. So <laughs> that's just bringing it around. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good book title in there somehow. The AI at the door. Yeah. Hello, I am AI. Let me in. <laughs> Candy Graham. <laughs> Mrs. Graham. Well, that that does it for this week. Yeah, that was a good. It was a good out. We talked about nothing that we were going to talk about, which well, is we, why I love doing this. With, we skimmed, why I love doing this with you, buddy. We skimmed along a couple things that we were going to talk about, but uh, we said that we were going to talk about them and that we weren't. But yeah, yeah. so you know, stay tuned. At some point, we're going to talk about mental health, dating, sex with yourself or with other. People. I don't think we're going to do that, but uh, Not- yeah. Kirk will talk but, about a know, lot of things sells, that you Gary. may or may not want to hear. Sex sells, buddy. Does it? We got a hint on it. Yeah. Not for me, it doesn't. <laughs> well. Oh dear. Oh my. All righty. All right. Until next time, well, when we for... figure out things that we're not going to talk about. Thanks for uh, staying with us in this bizarre dialogue. Yeah. Of two weirded beardos. Thanks for hanging around. See you next time. Mm-hmm.